This week on Grubstakers, we're talking about Joe Ricketts, the billionaire founder of TD Ameritrade. Hear all about how the government pushed everyone into the stock market by destroying the retirement system and made Joe Ricketts a billionaire, which gave him the free time to share racist emails about President Obama and the eminent Muslim takeover of the United States. All that and more coming up on Grubstakers. First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in this. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway... Hello, welcome back to We Study Billionaires, the podcast about grubstakers. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm here. I'm joined by my friends. Yogi Polywall. Steve Jeffers. Andy Palmer. And today, we're uh, looking at a man named Joseph Ricketts. Ricketts. And this is important because uh, uh, Splinter.com and Deadspin, uh, or Splinter News, they got his emails uh, the Splinter.com, they got four articles on, you know, they just go through a, a choice selection of the emails. And it's pretty fascinating getting inside the mind of a 70-something billionaire because what I saw when I looked through these emails was essentially like, first off, you have all the, the racist Obama era, Obama's a Muslim, mm-hmm, the Muslims mm-hmm. are our enemy kind of chain email stuff. Well, that's just in my emails. The racist <laughs> Obama era, you know, uh, uh, jokes about welfare recipients or something, which will... Go through some of those. Did we do we let Joe Ricketts on the Grubstaker Slack? <laughs> <laughs> and then like all these chain emails end with like, I'll bet y'all can't forward this to twenty people. <laughs> <laughs> or just like it is kind of like a nice uh, look back in time at the original like and subscribe, please, right, right. which was forward this racist chain email to like fifty people. But so you get that aspect of his emails, which is like any fucking seventy year old man in America. Was was going through that and but, women? You don't know. Yes, but also because he's a billionaire, you get tons of people hitting him up for money, <laughs> and so you get actually a pretty fascinating look into the uh, conservative political action sphere, like a poli- uh, uh, a campaign strategist named Fred Davis who worked with Carly Fiorina and made this insane ad called Demon Sheep. Which shows like a bunch of sheep in like a meadow, and then one guy dressed as a sheep with red demonic <laughs> eyes, and it's supposed to represent this California politician that uh, Carly Fiorino was running against, <laughs> and for some reason that it, it did not stick. Um, sheep with red eyes, and yeah. A person dressed up. It's as like it? I would I would play it, but it's such a visual thing, <laughs> and it like it begins with like this sheep in a meadow, and then it has this voiceover reading like purity. Piety, wholesome, honorable, men like Tom Campbell, who would never lead us astray, his pedestal so high. Leaving but one way to fall. The the music turns ominous, and one of the sheep gets like raised up and then replaced oh. with like a guy who's clearly a man in a sheep's costume sure, sure. with red eyes. <laughs> 
but but so the point is, you know, Fred Davis, and he would actually Joe Ricketts' first public exposure would be this guy in 2012 puts together a 50 paid page ad pitch. Uh, for a racist campaign they were going to run to link Obama to Reverend Jeremiah Wright in 2012. Uh, And then they backed out because the New York Times uh, leaked this. Um, But so he's like constantly in the inbox looking for money. Uh, You have uh, a guy named Mark Mix, who's uh, run some anti-union foundation. And uh, Mark Mix received at least 65... Oh, is that the IRA? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark Mix received at least $65,000 from Joe Ricketts to write an anti-union book, which he never wrote. (laughs) (laughs) So you have like this email about like Joe Ricketts' trip to Washington. He's like, yeah, we met with Mark Mix. He said the book is like two months away from being finished. (laughs) And then, like, you know, some other lady is, like, a Fox News contributor, consultant, and she takes money from him to, like, send him a list of 20 dumb titles for the anti-union book, which I'll, I'll read once we get through the biography. Right. But, um, or, or there's an economist who I think he teaches at Brown University, and he wants $25,000 a quarter from the family to give them a one-hour presentation on the state of the economy every quarter. <laughs> And it's just like, so you just see, oh, oh, and former Vice President Dan Quayle hits him up for money for his son's campaign. (laughs) So it's just like, it is like, you get to learn about him, but you also get to learn, you know, how billionaires function in the ecosystem of um, reactionary grifter politics. Right. It's like looking at a hot person's Tinder account. It's like, oh my God, look at all these people rolling in. And he like, he emails like Dinesh D'Souza, George Will of the Washington Post, Uh you know, as well. So it's like, just all these kind of like general conservative figures are, um, <laughs> oh, and Steve Bannon hits him up. Um, but I guess we could just kind of like start with the general information about Joe Ricketts. And then once we get through the biography, we'll go through kind of some of the stuff that you can find in his email inbox. Great. If that sounds good to everybody. Um, so Joe Ricketts, according to Forbes, he's worth about $2.7 billion. Um, uh, Forbes, actually, this is a rare honor for us. Forbes gives him a 10 out of 10 on the self-made what? score. So, uh, Congratulations, you know. <laughs> Joe. Perfect. Damn. Um, and I think we'll kind of go through... Uh, there was Beating a, Kylie? <laughs> there was a societal shift. Did you say that Kylie issued like a retraction saying she wasn't really self-made? Yeah. Since we put out our episode, she learned... <laughs> no, she, no such retraction from Rickett. Not yet, anyway. Wait till he hears this episode. <laughs> Or at least his lawyers will. Um, but so uh, Joe Ricketts, he's he's the guy who essentially founded what's today known as TD Ameritrade, which is one of those online um, brokerages, you know, with fixed fees, seven or eight dollars a trade. Yeah, they own uh, TDE Records as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, th- I think we'll kind of go through when we talk about Joe Ricketts being self-made. We should have gotten like stuff from Comptown on, so you could call it like Fat TD Ameritrade. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, when we talk about uh, you know Joe Ricketts being supposedly self-made or whatever mm-hmm. the term is, we have to underline that there was a societal shift in the United States in the 1970s and 80s that pushed workers out of defined benefit pensions into 401ks and essentially made, uh, by design of government policy, it made workers rather than employers responsible for ensuring their own retirement. Mm. And uh, and this has had a lot of effects, in particular, you know, some of the stock market boom we see as a result of that. But, you know, 
as far as Joe Ricketts being self-made, so well, you're saying that he fixed the economy. There were massive societal forces pushing people into, hey, let's open our own TD Ameritrade or E-Trade account because nobody else is going to take care of our retirement. Right. So now we have to like fucking day trade. And then people like Joe Ricketts are the ones who uh, who who uh, suck up all this extra money that is being pushed into individuals uh, diving into the stock market. Yep. And we'll kind of get into uh, some of the business practices of TD Ameritrade that are, are not quite as ethical. What? TD Ameritrade isn't ethical? Egad. Uh, but so no, E-Trade. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. But I guess we should start from the beginning of the man himself, you know, Joseph Ricketts. Uh, Joe Ricketts is born in uh, Nebraska, small town, 1941. He's the oldest of four children, uh, born to Florence and Donovan Ricketts. Um, uh, his dad, Donovan, was a carpenter, also an exterminator, small businessman, farmer, um, a staunch Catholic, apparently. And his mother was a home homemaker. But, you know, his, his dad was, you know, strict with the kids. But he kind of grows up, you know, lower middle class, uh, typical uh, Americana household in the um, uh, baby boom era. Yeah, you makes know, sense. 1940s. Born 19, 1941. Um, so basically he gets like his first job in third grade. This is from the Chicago Mag profile they wrote after he and his family bought the uh, Chicago Cubs. Oh, the Chicago Magnet. <laughs> uh so he, he he gets his first job in third grade cleaning stools at the county courthouse. <laughs> I thought you were going to say as a stock broker. <laughs> Wait, literally cleaning the stools? I, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> when, people, when people shit themselves right, after being right. sentenced to 40 years. <laughs> Come on in, Ricketts. <laughs> he cleans it up when people get their 25 to life sentence. <laughs> You've seen those those reaction vids on YouTube of people reacting to getting life sentences. Right, right. That was Joe Ricketts' job. He Wait, went is, in. That, is that a whole theme? That's oh, a yeah. genre, okay. yes. He went in he afterwards. Went, <laughs> he had to clean up the floor. Yeah, they, they, he had to clean up the it's stools. It's time to shine. <laughs> when people die and when they're committed life sentences, they shit themselves. <laughs> and when you do, you get a guy like Ricketts to come in and do the dirty work. Little. It's like just one step away from a set of reaction videos. It's like, we and ISIS just told their family that we're decapitating their daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Joseph, uh, Joseph Ricketts, he gets uh, this, this early job. In 1959, he meets uh, Marlene uh, Volkmer. <laughs> Uh, in uh, what's funny about that? The Volk. I don't know. I just got Germans, Nazis on the brain. What do you think that's funny? Volk. Yeah, you're right. There's when, nothing funny about. When don't you have Nazis the people. on the brain, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> the eight hours I sleep a night. <laughs> just kidding. Four of those hours I dream about Nazis. So, um, in in 1959, he attends a Jesuit university called Crichton. Uh, in uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. What was the timeline on that? 1959. Okay. So born 1941, 1959. He attends a Jesuit university. Is that where he learned about uh, Sphere at, at Crichton? <laughs> he learned that global warming isn't real there, <laughs> which is a recurring theme in the emails. <laughs> Uh, so it, it, uh, in 1959, he starts attending the university, but he actually has to like work the entire time he's in university. So Aww. he, uh, he attends university for nine years before he gets his degree. Uh, in 1963, he and Marlene both marry at 22. And then again, from the Chicago mag profile, the initial plan was Marlene, 
uh, would work as a teacher while Joe finished college. But in 1964, she became pregnant with Pete, now the governor of Nebraska. Oh. Uh, she became pregnant with Pete in 1964. Um, and then a year after he was born, their son Tom came along. And then Joe recalled in a 2000 interview, quote, the bills started piling up. I had to reduce my academic effort to be more in line with my ability to pay. So I went to school part time. So he went to school over a nine-year period, essentially, in the uh, 60s. And um, and this is what gets him into, uh, I guess, the stock market, mm-hmm. is he's working, he gets a job part-time as a credit analyst at Dun & Bradstreet. Uh, and he says he saw the fun and excitement that business people had. I decided I want to have my own business, but I didn't have any money. Oh, Ricketts. <laughs> I did, the two things I didn't have were money and vitamin D. <laughs> I had nine years of school, but no money. Sound familiar? <laughs> that actually wasn't the family last name. He just changed it because whenever you touched his children, their bones would snap. things. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so I guess like this kind of brings us in. So he's working as a credit analyst and this brings us into two interesting phenomenons that happen with uh, government policy regarding the stock market and retirement that allow him to become a billionaire. And the first is in May, what's called May Day 1975, the SEC abolishes fixed commissions or fixed commission minimums, essentially. And so it used to be that um, the New York Stock Exchange got together and said, okay, if uh, you're a broker, you want to execute a stock trade, there's a minimum or a fixed commission price you Mm -hmm. have to take Mm -hmm. uh, on that trade. And the SEC in 1975 May Day uh, abolishes this. They say you can undercut and charge whatever you want. And this leads to the rise of what are called discount brokerages, including today TD Ameritrade, Joe Ricketts' company, uh, but also Charles Schwab is a billionaire off this. Other like other mutual funds also got their start around then, <clears throat> as like the the woke alternative mm-hmm. to to the higher like uh, oligopolistic firms on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's interesting where it's like, I mean, abolishing fixed commissions I think is fine. I don't have a problem with that, but I think it's kind of the uh, the four hundred one k thing. We'll get into in a second that. Uh, really pushes his business. But so just to kind of continue, uh, these fixed commissions get abolished. He, he had a job for a minute as a stockbroker at Dean Witter, but he quits uh, uh, in 1975 after fixed commissions were abolished. Uh, he quits to uh, co-found uh, a discount brokerage that's called First Omaha Securities. Uh, he later renames it First National Securities, and then today it's called TD Ameritrade. Hmm. He later renames it Ameritrade, and then it merges after the dot-com bust to become TD Ameritrade. But so, basically, uh, from Chicago Mag, uh, Mag this, this brokerage allowed investors to buy and sell securities for lower commissions than old-school full-service brokerages. Um, and just as far as where he got his startup capital, just from Forbes... We know that he got a uh, $12,500 loan from friends and family, the usual Mm -hmm. LLC way of doing it. Mm -hmm. But he also got $37,500 from three partners. And, you know, it's just interesting where it's like... $3,500 total or from each partner? uh, Total. Total. So, uh, altogether, he got fifty grand in 1975 dollars for startup capital. You know, so it's like... 
even when Forbes says somebody is 10 out of 10 self-made, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry you had to work while you went to college, but you still ran in the right circles that you could get a $50,000 loan. You still went to college, so that's people helping you. Right, right. <laughs> really, no one. <laughs> let's let's just drop the, drop the charade. Every, no one is self-made, so. Yeah. Literally, everyone needs two people to exist. Yeah. So, in, uh, in 2017 dollars... Fifty thousand in nineteen seventy five is two hundred and twenty seven thousand eight hundred and six dollars. So a, a significant little it's, little chunk of change to start above with. Above average. I don't think I could find two hundred grand right now on a whim. Could you guys find that much capital if you needed to? To buy a house, <laughs> not start a business. Yeah, that's true. I would extort Thomas Friedman. <laughs> I'm going to release the tapes of you saying blowing up Israelis and flying a pe- airplanes into the World Trade Center. That's okay. (laughs) What did he say about pizza parlors? Wrapping yourself with dynamite and blowing up Israelis in a pizza parlor? That's okay. Buying a sniper rifle and hanging out of gas outside of gas stations in the Washington DC area? That's okay. (laughs) Poisoning the water of the citizens that live in your country? That's okay. Uh, murdering prostitutes outside the Green River area in Washington State. That's okay. (laughs) Well suck. On this. <laughs> Tom Friedman is a bad man. That's okay. Uh, so what I wanted to talk about, and, and so this business, he starts it in 1975. Within six years, he buys out his partners, and he's kind of running it mostly by himself and putting his idiot children in positions of responsibility as well. But but I wanted to talk about essentially something that if you live in the United States, you might be Uh, familiar with, which is, uh, according to the Center for Retirement Research in 2007, at peak in the United States of America, 88% of private sector workers with a retirement plan had a defined benefit pension plan. Now today, it's about 30, at least 2007, about 33%. So it's this massive collapse from almost 90% of people with retirement options having a defined benefit pension plan to this big shift to essentially 401ks. And what's the... the, um difference in like uh, material terms well essentially like when you have a defined benefit pension plan it's you know how much you're going to get so and you get it for the rest of your life until you die whereas a 401k is essentially like okay so you put say two hundred thousand in your 401k okay now you're retired you got to make that work until you're dead Oh, so a defined benefit pension plan is um, a guarantee over. You actually have something like a guarantee, right? It's not a finite sum of money. If you live forever, you keep getting money. Yeah, it's X every year or month or however, however they do it until you die. Okay. Whereas four hundred one k, you just have to be your own portfolio manager, right? Hopefully, it's enough or not. Mm -hmm. Got to make sure your money compounds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it compounds. The bill enabling 401ks passed Congress in 1978. Mm-hmm. It was modifying the IRS code to include such tax advantage accounts like that. And right. then in 1980, mm-hmm. the first employer 401k plans started showing up. Yeah, like, and in 81, just from NBC News, uh, the IRS uh, clarified that 401k plan participants could uh, defer regular wages, not just bonuses. So, you know, these things began to proliferate for a variety of reasons. I do um, like that you can lose both your 401k and your pension from mortgage-backed securities. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
But just like, again, another kind of illustrative stat from NBC News. In 1985, there were 30,000 401k plans offered by employers in the United States. Defined benefit plans were 170,000. By 2005, there were just 41,000 defined, defined benefit plans. Defined. Defined benefit Defined plan. benefit plans. <laughs> well, suck on this. And 417,000 401ks. And so it's it's interesting where essentially this tax incentive where uh, there's, uh, what is it, 401k contributions aren't taxed or taxed later. Uh, well, they're taxed if you take them out early, I believe. Yeah. So like, what does this mean in material terms for Wall Street is, well, you have a lot more fees on commissions for trades. Mm. And they also have an explosion of um, uh, assets under management from mm. all the 401k plans. Mm-hmm. You can have like lucrative contracts to like we're going to manage all of the 401k plans for these companies Mm. well i mean it's a good thing that you know that law passing doesn't line up almost perfectly with new york (laughs) becoming the financial capital of the world (laughs) but yeah no and again from nbc news um essentially just continuing on the fees thing and there have been a lot of studies about this and, and news reports, but essentially, like, if you get a 401k from your work, they'll send you a giant booklet, which you're never going to read. Right, right. And then if you go through, you're like, you know, and they'll even hide fees from that booklet, but they will, like, have this or that management fee or this or that thing just kind of hidden in there. And according to one study, this is from NBC News. Uh, it was actually funny, like, a 401k guy, like, pitch guy came to my office to tell us about the plans, and our CEO um, asked, like, well, do you want to go into uh, index funds, which are the um, yeah. have lower fees and are just kind of pinned to the NASDAQ or something? Mm-hmm. And the guy got really evasive about it. <laughs> yeah, so from NBC News, one study found that, quote, as a result of high fees, fund balances in defined contribution plans are about 20% less than they need otherwise be. So essentially 20% of what should be your retirement is getting eaten up by fees for Wall Street or whoever else is managing your 401k. And that's why this entire thing that comes from the 70s and 80s is a giant you know, taxpayer uh, benefit to uh, Wall Street and a scam out of working people. Right. Well, essentially, yeah. like a mutual fund is not going to be able to beat the market because that's essentially impossible. So they might have a lucky couple of years, but that might be the best. But um, And so if you're not just like whatever mutual fund you put your money into at best, they're probably going to do the same as the market, but that's going to be minus all the fees as opposed to an index fund, which will automatically do as well as the market, which is already kind of a a, a bubble that's very volatile. Well, on the other side of that, you had like Jack Bogle and other mutual fund people who got started in the late seventies who were saying like, you know, why, why fight, why fight the market? Just invest in these really low cost mutual funds. Mm-hmm. and just try to match the market and wherever it goes like all right you're at least guaranteeing yourself a seven percent return over 20 years mm-hmm. so if you're a long-term investor just keep it simple mm-hmm. and so like that's kind of the other side of the development of these companies yeah the only way to like really beat the market with your investing comes with the risk of your broker getting invest arrested for insider trading every 10 years <laughs> Well, if you can afford it, why not? Yeah. But yeah, so like if you, if you assume I a mean, 7... you're not paying his prison, his <laughs> legal fees. If you assume a, a 7% annualized return over a 20-year period, which is what pretty... What ETFs usually return, yeah. Which is pretty close to what like the S&P 500 would return. Right. Um, if you have fees that amount to like 1.5% of whatever you put in, that's going to be almost a quarter of your potential gains. Ooh. 
mm-hmm. go go away to uh, right. Wall Street. Right. So now, if you want a, a more stable investment, I'm happy to announce that Grubstakers has partnered with WeBuyYourGold.com, <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> That's but why you should get into crypto right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one last thing from this uh, NBC News article. Um, in 2011, a report by the Government Accountability Office found that, quote, the percentage of workers participating in employer-sponsored plans like 401ks has peaked at about 50% of the private sector workforce for most of the past two decades. So the point is, even though they have these 401ks, a lot of people, if they don't make that much money, they can't really afford to put that much money into their 401k so there's at peak about 50 percent of people participating in these plans and then of course the other 50 percent have no fucking retirement plan at all so it's like why do people try to trade their own you know try to go into e-trade try to go into td ameritrade charles schwab why are people individuals being driven into the stock market it's because we destroyed their retirement They used to have a defined benefit pension plan, and now jobs just don't offer that anymore because of uh, government policy choices in the 70s and 80s. Barbaric. Um, Yeah. But so, uh, of course, Joe Ricketts is 10 out of 10 self-made. Yeah. (laughs) What a chooch. Yeah. But um, so I guess we can just kind of move on through the rest of his bio and what happens. So six years after he founds the thing, he buys out his partners um, and... Essentially, TD TD Ameritrade does uh, two kind of innovative things. In 1988, they're, I believe, uh, one of, if not the, yeah, they were the first uh, touch-tone quote-and-order stock system in 1988. So essentially, you would just dial them, and then you would enter a stock code, and you would press one to buy, press two to sell, and touch-tone however much you want to sell. And so, essentially, you can just order and sell stocks without any interaction with an actual broker. Wow. You know, so they introduced that in 1988. In 1995, uh, uh, Joe Ricketts actually, you know, to his uh, credit and prescience, he becomes the first, Ameritrade at the time, becomes the first um, company to be able to execute online trades uh, because they buy one of the first firms that allows customers to use the internet for trading. I shouldn't say they're the first, but they get in on the ground floor in 1995 hmm. by spending about eight million dollars to buy a company that allowed people to trade over the internet. They're, I mean, they're effectively the first online brokerage. Mm-hmm. Interesting, just because of that acquisition and integrating it. I mean, you could say to his credit, but that's sort of like saying, like, you know, to some inventor's credit, he was the first guy to realize that if you set up a slot machine, people will just pour money into it. Uh, with no real returns. Right. And so, essentially, in 1997, he becomes he becomes a billionaire. In 1997, uh, now TD Ameritrade, at the time Ameritrade, it goes public. It has their IPO, and he actually IPOs like right as the dot-com bubble is inflating. So he becomes a billionaire. I think for a time, he was actually on paper richer than he is today, just because all these dot-com stocks were so fucking overvalued. But um, in 1997... He uh, IPOs, and then an interesting thing happens where uh, the stock market crashes, and then they f- uh, basically push him out as CEO. That was fun. <laughs> that was a very interesting time. Uh, just from, from... Watching Friends, seeing that stock market crash. The 90s. Uh, from the Fortune magazine article, uh, 
Ameritrade stock fell an astonishing 94% between 1999 and 2001. <laughs> so basically the bottom fell out right, and then right. they, they pushed him out as CEO. <laughs> and then uh, basically everything that uh, TD Ameritrade has done since 2000 has been not his decision. Sure. So, you know, again, these very valuable people who are essential <laughs> to the economy. So for, what, 18 years, almost 20 years, he hasn't been making major decisions? No. Yeah, I mean, he was on the Ameritrade board until, I think, like 2011 or something. Mm. But basically, after the dot-com crash, they pushed him out, and a guy named Joe Moglia was a former Merrill Lynch executive. I think he worked in the White House technology office, too. Um, But he came in as CEO right after the bottom fell out. Why is it so common that, uh, like, a good fifth or fourth of all the rich people we talk about are linked to the government. You guys ever notice this? Every every couple of episodes, we had a guy that works in something that's corrupt, yeah. and they're also so, linked to now, the government. Now, Yogi, off mic, so. you were saying uh, more to us about this, and you were talking about uh, the Jews? Uh, no, I didn't say anything <laughs> about those things. But you're right, Hank Paulson and all of them, so... I, yep. I didn't say any of these things to you. Yogi, stop <laughs> thinking in such conspiratorial terms. This is the, none, none of what you guys are alleging is true. I <laughs> believe all people are equally corruptible. And that no... Hank, uh, Hank Paulson was a Christian scientist. Yes, yes. See, so see. we're actually... We're being... You know, we're being discriminatory against them. Off, off Mike Yogi was like, you know, you guys, when we play that Thomas Friedman clip, <laughs> I think there's an aspect about him that uh, that we should emphasize. <laughs> Yogi, you were saying that on Hanukkah they have that uh, ceremonial gelt and that it prepares them to control the world banks. I, I like how Andy used like eight levels of Jewish knowledge to insult <laughs> me in that moment. Yeah. I noticed when you're talking about your bashert that <laughs> this, this, and that. <laughs> Andy drawing on decades of dating pool experience <laughs> to, to, to enlighten us with with Jewish people knowledge. Yogi was like, "Yeah, guys, like we, we don't have just to- give me an automatic conversion." <laughs> Yogi was like, "Guys, we don't have to come out and say it, but what if we just really put some stink on the name Friedman, <laughs> like Friedman." <laughs> Really emphasize the free <laughs> part of freedmen. I'll tell you what, he won't be free when we're done with him. Um, but so the dot-com crash happens, and then actually, interestingly enough, at least according to this Fortune article, Joe Ricketts wanted to merge with uh, E-Trade of uh, E-Trade baby fame. But mm. at the time, E-Trade had like giant real estate exposure, and a lot of executives speculated that had had it merged with E-Trade, the company actually would have collapsed. So instead, this other guy who took over merged it with the company TD Waterhouse. So it became TD Ameritrade. I do, I do like how you know they they get just thrashed in the dot com burst, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Fuck, we got to invest in something stable, like mortgages." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they were following uh, Alan Greenspan's advice, <laughs> but so. Um, and I guess, like, from here, you know, this kind of brings you up to the present. Like, he's gotten a, a couple other ventures, but essentially, after the dot-com crash, he was a retired, now billionaire, and he got restless, so he was in, like, a fucking... Um, one of his ventures was, essentially, they were trying to get a, like, a vacation company that was, like... So basically, they they bought what, up the. What do you want? Sandals. Yeah. Well, they bought up these properties in like Aspen, Jackson Fort, some mansions in France and England, and um, 
So just uh, it's bored rich people games. <laughs> exactly. I want to buy a whole bunch of land in various places I want to go to eventually. Right. So I'll, I'll just quote from Splinter News here. Um, Participants 12 and up could practice survival skills in the back country, learning tracking, fire making in wet conditions and navigating by the stores before re- by the stars before returning to their luxury estates. And then this is from the uh, an early slide deck uh, advertisement material it says roughing it will never be dangerous and rarely uncomfortable. <laughs> So essentially, you're pitching to rich people to go do survivalist stuff while also telling them roughing it will never be dangerous and also never uncomfortable and rarely uncomfortable. Hey, you Uh, know those places that are dangerous and uncomfortable? What if we could go there and not be in danger or uncomfortable? mm -hmm. Let's put a hammock on the moon, guys. But so he's like bouncing around from different uh, uh, ventures after TD Ameritrade. Honestly, Um, having a hammock on the moon sounds really nice. (laughs) I never said you'd be in a suit, though. Yeah. And also, why would you need a hammock? There's no, there's not that much gravity. Yeah, it's like extra comfortable. Actually, that would be pretty nice. Yeah. But so he founds a DNA Info, which is like a... He would later shut down for merging... Or attempting to unionize. Patent pending. Uh, yeah. Our listeners. They got yeah. from this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So DNA Info was like supposed to be a hyper-local New York newspaper. It's kind of funny. Like all his boomer... Well, expanded to other cities too. Wait, he, he found it? I thought he bought it. I guess later. he bought it, yeah. Yeah. Um... But so he wanted to like get in the news media and it's just kind of funny like all of his boomer emails are about like uh uh yeah, you know the news it's always prevent- presenting their point of view. I just want the facts newspaper. <laughs> and so you have like some boomer emails from him where he like uh emails the editor in chief and like you can just imagine this woman's patience having to put <laughs> up with this guy because he like emails her to complain about how like the staff is editorializing by uh prevent- presenting taco trucks in a good light <laughs> or something like that. So high frequency trading, TD Ameritrade and E-Trade and all these companies heavily benefit from Essentially, to my understanding, sell, selling your orders to high-frequency traders before they hit the markets. Well, so I guess to back up and say the, mm-hmm. the advent of high-frequency trading came around like the early 90s or so, right around when the online brokerages were just before they really became a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was still in its infancy then. But in the 2000s and going forward, uh, a big part of how online brokerages started making their money was by basically selling information about the the flow of or stock order executions before they actually executed mm-hmm. to these groups. And so I guess how do you make money if you have the flow of order information before the trades execute? Well how you do it is you get you gather and quickly analyze using algorithm, Mm -hmm. uh, what trades people are hoping to place at certain prices and then look at the mass of where they are and what direction you think they are going to be, either a buyer or sell. Mm -hmm. And then you can make money basically between what the normal bid and ask, like the spread between the the average price someone wants to sell at versus what someone else wants to buy at. Mm -hmm. You can sort of be between that and basically arbitrage off of people's... Uh, executed orders. So it's like Un- a pump unexecuted and, orders. Mm-hmm. It's like a pump and dump, but you're not doing the pumping. You just see where people are pumping and no, you just park get your thing in ahead of the, time. Yeah, you get a split second for your computer algorithm at a high frequency trading shop to look at what people want to buy or sell. So you see a bunch of people are like, I'm investing in Lyft, and you park your stuff in Lyft, and then you see a bunch of people are like, I'm selling Lyft, and before they sell it, you can pull from Lyft and then uh, 
uh, Jim Cramer will say, hey, to the haters, it's going up now. Right. Mm-hmm. But and one of the biggest high-frequency trading firms that is the biggest recipient of these, these um, what they call what they call payment for order of flow mm-hmm. uh, is this group called Citadel. And they, they do a lot of business with TD Ameritrade and other online brokerages where they get information about these, these orders before they're actually executed. I remember reading Flash Boys and like all these high frequency trades are like, or trade firms are just like startups run by like a bunch of very hostile Russian mathematicians <laughs> who like fled the collapsing Soviet Union and have no compunction about like stealing money yeah. from ignorant yeah. Americans. And actually, even before the high frequency traders, that's called uh, reparations. <laughs> even even before the high frequency people, um, the st- New York Stock Exchange also did this essentially. Oh really? Mm. And. Um, a lot, uh, several several groups have brought in cases over the years against groups like TD Ameritrade, saying like this is unfair, what whatnot, right, right. like which seems kind of obvious on the face of it. Right. But actually, the SEC ruled in favor of the brokerages, saying, "Well, actually, this is making it more fair." Wait a second, <laughs> because because the New York Stock Exchange had a monopoly on this, what? but now there's competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So huh. we're bringing more people in on wow. the game. And like, well, actually, the people they're bringing in are other like. Highly leveraged high frequency right, traders right. who, who are, are basically closing out, just walling off. Like, okay, no one else gets this special. But that's how they got away with like. So they're like, we're gonna allow this because uh, this is uh, allows us to keep not doing our jobs, but still have minor results. Yeah, like this makes it so like you want us to like fine or even possibly prosecute someone we, we can't have we guys can't do that i don't want to beat a dead horse but once again it seems like the government yogi you were saying off yogi mic earlier like, that you wanted to beat a dead horse <laughs> it was like now wait off. a minute let's talk about some last names here <laughs> sec td ameritrade it's all what are we guys. dealing with here I think, I think i know what's going on here ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> i think we've cracked the case i believe there's a conspiracy between people who have money uh-huh. and the people in power that is the government and certain religious groups. I'm not saying which ones. And certain minority groups. You know who else was a was a like a an early adopter of payment for order flows was Bernie the Mormons? Ma- Bernie Madoff. Oh, I don't know. Add that to your your theory. Yeah, I think I, I thought you were going to say Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie, Check his tax returns, Bernie people. <laughs> it's Wait, in there. So essentially, the SEC was like, "Yeah, this is not insider trading because it yeah. adds more people to." This monopoly that is something that regular people can't have access to, but corporations trading could. <laughs> yeah, essentially, right. they're using. They actually cited the antitrust law. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, what fuck? So it's crooks. like we're actually promoting competition by doing this. You know what I was having fun imagining uh, this weekend? And competition we- is automatically more d- delivers a more equitable right. distribution of right. gains, and greed is good. Hmm. Oh, I saw that movie. Uh, you can cut this out if you want, but I was—I thought it was—I was watching uh, the second season of the OA this weekend, mm-hmm. and I thought it would be really funny if, like, the genesis of that show was just some Midwesterners trying to imagine Bad joke what they alert siren. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it was just some like Midwesterners <laughs> trying to imagine like Judaism, and so they're like, "Yeah, there are like five Jews have like five motions based on the five <laughs> tribes of Israel to travel interdimensionally." And they have an original angel. That's the OA, and uh, these that's what they celebrate are, on uh, Ram Kippur. These views are not reflected on all of the members of Grubstakers, <laughs> just the people that said them. The siren was the NYPD coming to this apartment to shoot Andy for that <laughs> joke. 
it's like the dash cam the fucking police cam looks bad because they're shooting him in cold blood but then they play that clip and everyone's like all right oh no that that's that guy deserves it <laughs> they're like doing the the interpretive dance thing and the director walks up and he's like uh one note could you make that more jewish um but that only works if you've seen the show yeah, but so just to finish the high frequency trade thing, like, and so my understanding is like essentially they are like stealing just a few cents on every single trade. Oh, like it's the office space game. It's yeah, like Superman uh, Four. I mean, like not necessarily stealing, but because they know where the trades are going, they're well, able like, to. They, they have an ability to execute their trades, like essentially within the space between what normal people could buy or sell a stock at. Right. But there's like a public listing of like, all right, this is how much people want to buy, this is how much people want to sell. Sure. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is... they're just trading off the momentum between those those two fluctuations, basically. Right. So it's not stealing. It's just knowing what people will do like milliseconds before they It's not foolproof. I mean, high-frequency traders certainly lose money. Sure. A lot of money sometimes. But... Like the flash crash. mm -hmm. But um, over the belief in... Somewhat the reality is that mm-hmm. over the long haul and with the huge volumes they trade at, they have this edge over normal traders. Right, of course, yeah. yeah. But, but isn't the idea that like if you're not high-frequency trading, isn't every stock just that much more expensive? Because essentially you're running in their wake, you know, like you're paying right, slightly right. higher you're prices or you're, their boat of if you're waves. selling after them, you're selling at a slightly lower price. Like, isn't that the idea? Yeah. So they're just capitalizing off of this like inconsistency between pricing mm-hmm. between your average public exchange like the New York Stock Exchange and uh whatever listed price people are saying like all right this per- for the pay for the information that says this person's going to buy this stock at whatever the sure, normal sure, price yeah. is but you know you know that beforehand so you can find a buyer So it's technically um, not insider <laughs> trading though huh Cuz you they the SEC have, says no. Huh. Yeah, I was just imagining the uh, SEC officials being like, "Actually, it's more fair." And if you have any questions, you can reach me at my new email address at tdameritrade.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So what what you're saying is that um, they thoroughly research companies based on their uh, social utility to mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. as a whole. Yes, of course. And uh, potential uh, future potential to increase uh, the standard of living for our society and then very scientifically invest in those companies that are most likely to improve the condition of the average American. Um, And that's why it's necessary to keep those systems uh, running in our society. And there's five motions uh, that they use. And there's also an octopus. (laughs) But um, so, so I guess we should just kind of close out the bio here because I want to get to the emails and then anything else we have time for. But but essentially, so in you know, two- Sean's always been concerned about emails. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know when this started, but something around 2016 ish. I scroll down. It's like what these aren't the Joe Ricketts; these are the Hillary Clinton <laughs> emails. And then the NYPD kicks in the door and shoots me. <laughs> we need that computer. <laughs> here, here they come. Um, but so uh, TD Ameritrade, and, and so also Stephen. One other thing, you were saying like TD Ameritrade in particular is a serious player in the high frequency trade, like more well, so than others. They, they're one of the early adopters, right. Of like having these like these long term contracts that allow high frequency traders to to pay for the service. <laughs> They've been doing this fucked up practice almost since the beginning. Yeah, and there's, I mean, they're they're one of the largest in terms of like volume of trades for just retail. Nice. Retail trades, and I think the largest in terms of number of trades. 
Oh, really? So they're just an the industry leader. Yeah. And like they have a lot of pricing power when it comes to setting the terms of trade for doing it's doing like, this. It's like this. McDonald's buying potatoes. They buy the most so they control what potatoes look like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but so I guess just to kind of like finish. Uh, Is that why I haven't seen like any busted looking potatoes recently? <laughs> it's not necessarily busted. It's they're the all sides. like hot as shit. So. Yeah, they, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Got to get them. I'm loving it. Potatoes. Yeah. You know? Can't but, be getting no. Have it your way. Fries. They say potatoes, not a nut, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but so just from Splinter in 1997, TD Ameritrade uh, launched. What's this podcast about? <laughs> it launched the uh, uh, eight bucks a trade national advertising campaign. Mm-hmm. And again, this is kind of like what's made them known is like, again, a- appealing to people getting into. Oh, uh. Just a, one last thing about that. It's actually uh, so the high frequency traders have indirectly led to a, a drop in commissions, which uh, would sound like an overall good thing. But mm-hmm. also, it's like the way they do that is by this method of uh, the brokers are accepting payments for them to get the order flow. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually led all the way to the creation of um, the group called Robinhood. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's a non it's a zero commission oh. uh, retail. Uh, stock trading Robin Hood who uh, famously told the rich where the poor would be so that they could be robbed <laughs> <laughs> so one one of the huge ways that that's viable for them to offer zero commissions is right. by giving this information to yeah, traders yeah, yeah, yeah of course high frequency traders and, and a few other large institutional players right but so one other thing from this uh, Splinter News um, uh, profile of Joe Ricketts that I found interesting. After his company, Ameritrade, goes public in 97, he uh, buys this giant ranch in uh, uh, Wyoming. He spends $7 million buying a mansion in Omaha, Nebraska, I believe 17,000 square foot. He buys a 78th floor penthouse in New York City's Time Warner Center, 20, oh. $29 million. Um, but but so the the Splinter News thing is about his mansion. Jokes on him when the Cloverfield <laughs> monster knocks that over. <laughs> so from Splinter News, uh, and I found this interesting. So Ricketts fought for nearly five years to drop the taxed appraisal of his vast mansion in Omaha, the most expensive ever sold in the city, appealing the county equalization board that sets the property taxes. They, he appealed it every year until it dropped the appraised value of the mansion he bought for six point five million to four million dollars. The county was forced to pay Ricketts a sixty-two thousand seven hundred dollar tax refund fund in 2003 what so they had to drop the appraised value to two and a half million below right. what he actually bought it for which just shows you how like local government works when you have a billionaire throwing his dick around wait a second am, am i hearing a pattern here guys because i'm pretty sure this is a situation where government is being manipulated by a billionaire i'm pretty sure that this is what's going on but uh well we just we did just have one try to build a tower here with Two helicopter pads. Two yeah. helicopter pads. Yeah. Good. At least, at least the the, the option okay. for two people to land. Thankfully, it was canceled. <laughs> oh no! But so he, he. And what happened to all that gold under the World Trade Center? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're just daring the sirens to come here, aren't you? <laughs> Is that what you're calling them now? <laughs> but um, so so I guess like I don't know what we're. <laughs> Um, so I, I guess to like, uh, kind of round this out, we, we can kind of go through some of his emails and, uh, just say, you know, he bought his family, but should we close that? No, close it. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of sirens today. I just want to make that clear. Usually there are not this many police sirens and we wouldn't have this issue. Well, Shit, you're going for us. On this. Five stars. 
That's okay. <laughs> the episode's particularly hot today. That's okay. But so in order to like round out his biography, you know, we mentioned he gets into DNA Info, local press. He shuts DNA Info and Gothamist down when they attempt to unionize. And again, th- throughout his emails, this man has a pathological terror of unions. And he even says, like, when he shuts down Gothamist and DNA Info, that he says uh, unions promote an us-versus-them mentality <laughs> and destroy the uh, spirit decor of a, of a business. Uh, and again, it's, of course, illegal to... Uh, uh, shut down a company or fire people because right. of unionization, but the law is so toothless that it doesn't matter. He can straight up come out and say that. Um, but so, you know, and we mentioned he... Well, good that he uh, headed off that us versus them mentality by shutting down the company. Um, but so he so he, he leaves, you know, active management of TD Ameritrade. He's bored. He's bouncing from venture to venture. He even uh, starts... He's bored. Yeah, he starts up a movie company. They uh-huh. make, like, some uh, historical movie about, like, this woman who, like, housed um, the guy who shot Lincoln, and then she was hanged. I think Mary Stewart, uh, you know... If, uh, if if you shoot our president, we will hang the owner of the last boarding house you stayed in. <laughs> uh, so he makes, you know, these movies. He uh, raises bison. Uh, they sell bison burgers at the Chicago Cubs games, as we might have mentioned. But essentially, the, the emails that are leaked, and of course, the family buys the Cubs in 2009. The emails that are leaked by Splinter and Deadspin um, are a very interesting look into this guy. We mentioned, you know, the the grifting and and these sorts of stuff. But I would just like to kind of like, there's also a very fascinating thing with um, old people using the computer where he has like, he has a right-hand man named Alfred Levitt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yoki's like, emphasis on Levitt. (laughs) (laughs) He has a right-hand man. uh, And so... This guy runs like the Hugo Enterprise is like their LLC holding company. But he also just like emails him about the dumbest shit. Like he emails him in 2012. uh, Joe Ricketts emails Alfred Levitt. What is Yelp? What is Punchard? (laughs) So he just emails him shit that a normal person would Google. He also asks him in 2010, why would other sites link to us? And would we link other sites on ours? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like this billionaire is useless yeah that's a real internet entrepreneur right there uh, any i just love the amount of stupidity in a question like what is yelp but so i guess with the time we have left i just wanted to go through some of these emails that splinter news got uh that leaked to them and you know what if you're what in- do you think bill corbett hey you can see the cubs losing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not anymore. <laughs> they put up a giant video screen so you can't see them lose off the nearby wo- rooftops. Um, but so the emails are pretty fascinating. We won't have time to go through all of them, but I do recommend if you want to get inside the mind of a billionaire to look out, uh, look up what Splinter News and also Deadspin got with regard to the Cubs uh, purchase. But so just to kind of like go through uh, some of these emails in uh, a, a not necessarily chronological order, but subject order. Uh, in 2013, uh, the tape of Paula Dean saying the N-word or the story that she said the N-word came out. So Joe Ricketts uh, emails Paula Dean's agent to say, That's quote, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Ricketts says, quote, the next time she would be in New York, I can have my DNA info reporter write an article for our publication that would have a headline something like, quote, Paula Dean is not racist or Paula Dean is not a bigot, unquote. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I like how DNA info, it's mostly like, you know, hyper local um, 
updates <laughs> like, oh, they're uh, they're shutting down the R train to fix it after Sandy. And Paula Dean is not a racist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I mentioned the taco truck thing earlier. What he actually says, he sends the editor in chief uh, of DNA Info a, a message in 2011 saying, quote, I'm not sure the opinion in the taco truck article was correct. I'll bet many neighbors didn't want the truck there. Are we hiring too many bleeding hearts? Wow. Question mark. And um, and it's interesting, like, you know, you just you feel the editor in chief's pain where she has to, like, send back this very detailed two page thing being like, Joe, we respect your contribution to the newsroom. <laughs> and uh, we know you're committed to just the truth and hard hitting reporting, no editorializing. And that's why we make such a good partnership. And, you know, we believe in those values, too. And then she kind of goes through, like, they quoted several different neighbors and actually didn't insert their own opinions into this article. And, you know, <laughs> just like that kind of stuff, Brooks. you know. <clears throat> but um but I guess so like and that moves us on to unions. So again like he really is terrified of unions, but it's it's kind of fascinating where his idea it's like he he builds them up as this the only bogeyman keeping him back, but it's so clear that his his class at this point in time had had destroyed unions, you know? Like they're very weak. And so he writes in October 2012 in the last 40 years, the Democratic Party has been taken over by the unions, and the kooks are now in charge. The grand old party of oh, people... Yossi, Yogi was uh, using that word. <laughs> <laughs> the grand old party of people like John Gene Kirkpatrick and Jack Kennedy is gone. I call the Democratic Party a subsidiary of the unions. And he says that over the last 40 years, but if you look at 40 years ago, union participation rate 35%, at the time he's writing this, 6% for the private sector. So it's like his history is exactly backwards of what's actually happening yeah, in look reality. At, you, look at trade unionization rates during Clinton. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, or like, Obama. he's saying the Democratic <laughs> Party has been taken over by the unions in the last 40 years. I mean, the guy's a fucking idiot. But of course, you know, he's a billionaire and he has like this bugaboo. Like, you know what he writes? July 4th, 2009, email to his children. For the first time in my life, I am afraid of my government. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a billionaire who's just, like, got all this uh, fear in his head, you know, partly from right-wing media, but just, like, his well, own he's paranoia. He's got free time and paranoia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's not working anymore, so he's just, like, sending out these crazy emails. Um but so, just like continuing on the union thing, and, and I'll try to truncate this a bit, but again, this stuff is so fascinating to me. He, he emails a woman named Gretchen K. Hamill, who's a, a political strategist who appears on Fox News uh, frequently. She's also a director, executive director of Public Notice, which is a right-wing uh, policy think tank. This is from Splinter News. Um, so no. he, yes? Uh, never mind. He emails her February 2010. Uh, he says this, I would like to have a book written describing the national policies advocated by unions and why they are not good for our nation. I need a provocative title. Any suggestions would be welcome. Thanks. Then about a month later, she emails him back with this list of like 20 titles. And I just want to go through some of them. Uh, one of them she suggests is Bust It, The Truth About Unions in the U.S. And then in brackets she puts... A playoff union busting. <laughs> Bust it. The truth about ghost busting. Uh, Bust it. The truth about your face. <laughs> but she also... Okay, Sean's very sensitive about his face. <laughs> she also includes uh, as titles, Unions Dividing Our Union, Unions Destroying Our Unions, 
our unions destroying the union, what unions are doing to the union. Uh, nine to five, how Americans actually, how unions actually undermine the American worker. Unions against our economy? Question mark. How unions are anti-intersectional, parentheses, a math pun. <laughs> <laughs> parentheses, as in set theory. Thomas Friedman, what do you think about unions? Well, suck <laughs> on this. Flying airplanes into the World Trade Center? That's okay. Uh, Friedman, what do you think about union busting? Wrapping yourself with dynamite and blowing up Israelis in a pizza parlor? Replace Israelis okay. with uh, Tories. <laughs> it's, not, that's, it's not what we asked for, but wow. Yeah, I mean, you know what? He gives you results. Yeah, for the people, but not for the union. The truth behind the union, what unions are doing to the U.S. And again, this is like 20 just dumb names, but she's getting a check for like $30,000 from him to say this. So right. it just kind of illustrates what the actual right-wing grift is. And, um, and one last thing about the unions before we get into the real... Wait, she got $30,000 for that list? We don't know exactly how much he paid her, but he paid the guy who didn't write the union book because this is where we mentioned earlier he's soliciting titles for this guy, I think Mark Mix, to write this anti-union book, and he pays him at least sixty-five grand. and then the book, to the best of my knowledge, was never delivered. It doesn't exist. Are they hiring? <laughs> um, so... Uh, one last thing. Uh, he gets some forward uh, about uh, uh, unions from another person, and uh, he says, my tax dollars go to the government, which in turn pay the public employees, which in turn pay my dollars to the unions, which then use the money to support candidates that I do not want. It is a crime, and in, about, in a roundabout way makes me a slave. We should pass a law not allowing public service unions as they are a disservice to taxpaying citizens. Jeff, who is 65, thought he didn't really need to forward this email to 10 other people for good luck. <laughs> and later, his wife found him dead in his car of carbon monoxide poisoning. With a hose she did not recognize. <laughs> But we were talking about union uh, slavery earlier. But this billionaire believes that because his tax dollars support uh, public sector um, activities where there are public sector unions, that makes him a slave. Because the public sector unions donate to candidates and uh, enslave him. Yeah, I um, mean, he's got to email people about Yelp. He, he doesn't know how to live, guy. He doesn't know how to live. That's okay. <laughs> um, but so I guess I want to just go through two of these old man conspiracy emails and the payoff. This might take a second to set up. Damn, Sean, how much research you got? The, the, this, it's worth it. Okay, stick with me. Stick with me when I say that he got a chain email on March 2010 and the subject line is, I just couldn't help myself. I had to send this one. <laughs> John Smith started the was day... Was he, like, crouching with his hand in his fist? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Smith started the day early, having set his alarm clock, made in Japan for 6 a.m. While his coffee pot, made in China, was perking, he shaved with his electric razor, made in Hong Kong. He put on a dress shirt, made in Sri Lanka, designer jeans, made in Singapore, and tennis shoes, made in Korea. After cooking his breakfast in his new electric skillet, made in India, he sat down with his calculator, made in Mexico, to see how much he could spend today. After setting his watch, made in Taiwan, to the radio, made in India, he got in his car, made in Germany, filled it with gas from Saudi Arabia, continued his search for a good-paying American job. 
At the end of yet another discouraging and fruitless day checking his computer made in Malaysia, John decided to relax for a while. He put on his sandals made in Brazil, poured himself a glass of wine made in France, and turned on his TV made in Indonesia, and then wondered why he can't find a good-paying job in America. And now he's, all caps, and now he's hoping he can get help from a president made in Kenya. Murder. Y'all got to keep this one circulating, please. Wait, Sean, and what was that man's name? <laughs> John Smith. Albert Einstein. <laughs> and then Joe Ricketts sends a one-sentence response to this chain email. Yeah, this is because of unions. <laughs> um, but so, you know, uh, other like again, I guess we, we're kind of truncating, so we don't have time to go through all this, but there's another racist email that suggests that Obamacare is implementing a dimmy tax on non-Muslims. <laughs> That Obamacare has what? What's that called? Am I pronouncing that wrong? Where uh, non-Muslims in Muslim Uh, governments—it's a tax for Ashton Kutcher. (laughs) They have to pay it. You have to pay it when you marry and divorce anymore. Non-Muslims have to pay a tax in in Muslim countries. So that was like hidden within Obamacare. Wait, (laughs) non-Muslims also have to pay a tax in this country. Yeah, but they have to pay a higher tax for being. Let me tell you about Sharia law. (laughs) Uh, He says. Is that a singer? (laughs) <laughs> there's another there's another chain email it's jude law's daughter <laughs> oh, for shania <laughs> law <laughs> there, there's another chain email that says uh the obamacare has exemptions from the penalties for all muslims uh barack obama another chain email says barack obama has instructed the post office to issue a muslim stamp and it suggests <laughs> that people go into the post offices and tell the clerk specifically i do not want the muslim stamp <laughs> <laughs> There's another one where it ta- it, it's some fake viral speech uh, Kramer made. This is after Kramer was saying the N-word at a stand-up comedy club. Michael Richards. Yeah, Michael Richards. <laughs> so it's a viral speech he, he, he made at uh, his court appearance, which, of course, didn't happen. Uh, I'm just imagining people going into post offices saying, I do not want the Muslim <laughs> stamp. And just like over weeks, there are just more and more Muslim stamps coming in <laughs> until it's like all the right, like right. shelves are like overflowing <laughs> with the Muslim stamps. And they're like, everyone's saying they don't want them. <laughs> this is like Joe Ricketts response. Like, it's fucked up. I went to ask them, uh, don't give me the Muslim stamp. But they were all closed for Friday prayers. <laughs> <laughs> The Muslim stamp is just Muhammad Ali. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so there's a a viral, it's like a fake thing that Kramer said in court after he said the N-word about like, so when we call you N-word, it's racist. But when you call us cracker honky, it's not racist. (laughs) And there's no White History Month. And Joe Ricketts is like some generic, this is great. Thanks for sharing (laughs) response. But um, God, I just. And that man's name? Yeah. Cosmo Einstein. Uh, so he gets the, like, I, I just want to share one more of these. He gets a, a chain email, uh, a subject line regarding what the fu- reply, what the fire chief said. Uh, and it goes, this one is really priceless. What the fire chief said, a Mexican family of six, all welfare recipients and gang members lived on the first floor. <laughs> they died. An Islamic group of seven welfare cheats, all illegally in the country from Ch- Kenya, lived on the second floor, and they too all perished in the fire. Six L.A. Hispanic gangbangers and ex-cons lived on the third floor, and they too died. A lone white couple lived on the top floor. The couple survived the fire. Jesse Jackson, John Burris, and Al Sharpton were fear 
hilarious. They flew into L.A. to meet with the fire chief on camera. They loudly demanded to know why the blacks, black Muslims, and Hispanics all died in the fire and why the only white couple lived. The fire chief said, quote, Flying airplanes into the World Trade Center? That's okay. <laughs> the fire chief said, quote, They were at work. <laughs> and then Joe Ricketts replies, Very good. <laughs> guy sucks (laughs) it's like everyone knows that a person with time and and money will eventually have obsessive uh hobbies that they can't get out of but this guy's obsessive hobby is just uh forwarding shitty emails i'm confused is this like a mixed-use building Uh, and so, you know, and it kind of goes on like this, like Joe Ricketts got attention in 2012 for like some racist campaign that we're going to launch against Obama, where part of the discussion is like, yeah, we got to get a black narrator and we should get some black groups to like come out and say this ad is good to push back against the allegations that this is racist. And, you know, so, I mean, it kind of goes on and on uh, about just all the kind of like racist different fever dreams that he has uh, within uh, his heart and his mind. He's called... Islam, an enemy of the West, uh, in a different one. Uh, <clears throat> I guess Joe Ricketts says in May 2012, please let me give you my, regarding radical Islam, uh, please let me give you my thoughts and attitudes. I am very conservative and selfish as I look at this as protecting my family. I consider the worst that can happen and develop my attitude. Due to the radical aspect of Islam, we cannot, caps, let Iran have the nuclear bomb. We must destroy this ability with whatever we have to do. Christians and Jews can have a mutual respect for each other and create a civil society. As you know, Islam cannot do that. Therefore, we can never, cannot ever let Islam become a large part of our society. Muslims are naturally my, parentheses, our enemy due to their deep antagonism and bias against non-Muslims. I'm giving some consideration to having a book written with the title, quote, Islam, Religion or Cult. It would describe... <laughs> and if any of you are looking for $65,000 not to write that book... <laughs> Hit up Joe Ricketts. It would describe ma- it would describe many things about Islam, but most importantly, describe and define where Islam crosses the line from a religion to a cult. Now, I wouldn't lower myself to writing that book, Wait, yeah. but Sam, I would Sam do the Harris illustrations. Book, <laughs> Sam Harris wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> 2003. Yeah. He, uh, he managed to talk Joe Ricketts up to 75,000. <laughs> Got it done. We must all recognize the... It's sad that Dawkins lost the bidding war on that one. Yeah. <laughs> we must all recognize the Islam, the Islam, is a dangerous element in our society due to its radical elements, aspects. Um, but I guess one last email to close this out. I know I could read these all day. I'm sorry if they <sighs> weren't as captivating to you as they were to me. I mean... www.whatthefuck.com it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, this, these emails are eye-opening, but they're also just like, these are just the rantings of a madman. It's mm. like, I could listen to a conspiracy theorists from a billionaire or a homeless person, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to be like, this all just sounds crazy. Well, it's a madman that controls a larger chunk of the economy than any one of us will ever in our lifetimes. Um, yeah. And has a massive degree of influence over the lives of uh, people worldwide. Right, his son is the governor of Nebraska. His um, his other son was tr- co- Trump wanted to appoint him deputy commerce secretary, but uh, they backed out because of conflict of interest or other reasons. Hmm. Um, you know, it, his daughter was an Obama bundler, interestingly enough. Um, but 
So but wait, was she like the black sheep then? Yeah, the rest <laughs> of the family's all like conservative idiots. Um, though his governor son does like send him an email once being like, dad, you should look at this on Snopes.com <laughs> because he forwarded one of the, uh, fucking idiotic emails to the rest of his family. Um, but so I guess where I wanted to close this is, uh, as we mentioned in 2009, they buy the Chicago Cubs and, uh, you might've heard, uh, on the previous email there where he talks about, um, all the, uh, welfare people burning in the fire. <laughs> Well, so an interesting thing happens when he buys the Chicago Cubs is that initially the city of Chicago under then-Mayor Rahm Emanuel was going to uh, give... Implement that policy. <laughs> was going to give him, like, $200 million taxpayer subsidy, you oh, know, right. for the Chicago Cubs stadium. Right. But then this uh, it comes out in the New York Times that he wants to launch this racist multi-million dollar campaign against Obama. So Rahm Emanuel uh, backs away from the idea. And uh, there's, like, a, a family... Um, email chain about Rahm Emanuel making comments like telling some paper that uh, when I first started the discussion, they wanted two million, two hundred million in taxpayer dollars. I said no. Then they wanted one hundred and fifty million. I said no. And then he keeps going down and saying I'm not giving them. <laughs> Emanuel's, pretend- <laughs> Emanuel's pretending that he's not going to give them any taxpayer money, or at least telling the paper that. Right. And so they're passing this around on a uh, uh, on a family email chain and. Um, uh, Todd Ricketts says, I just hate the thought of Tom having to grovel to this guy and put to, to put money into a building we already own. $200 million Chicago taxpayer right. money. And then from Joe Ricketts to the rest of the kids, yes, Todd, it makes me sad. It hurts my feelings to see Tom treat it this way. He is way superior to the mayor in every way. I have been brought up to deplore the type of value system adopted by the mayor of Chicago. That is stating it mildly. So again, this guy talks about how welfare and dependency and unions are destroying our country, but of course, he's no problem feeling entitled to 200 fucking million dollars of taxpayer money. I wonder, I wonder how he feels about 10% of the Chicago aldermen being DSA members. <laughs> I want to get his opinion on that. And uh, I, wonder, I wonder what he means by the uh, values of uh, Rahm Emanuel. Um, Yogi? I don't know. Um, and I guess like it should just be noted, there was a federal income tax credit for twenty percent of uh, the Cubs' renovation that the Ricketts family uh, paid for. They also get a Class L property tax incentive from Cook County. They can get their assessment values reduced during a twelve-year plan. This is from CNN. Ten percent for the first ten years, fifteen percent in years eleven, twenty percent in years twelve. So essentially, there is like a bunch of taxpayer or public money going into the Chicago Cubs regardless. So it is just one of those things where it's like when we talk about welfare in this country, primarily it is for the rich. You know, it's uh, the bank bailouts. It's uh, the welfare queens, the 401k uh, pushing all these individuals into the stock market. So they have to pay, you know, whatever brokerage fees. It's, um, you know, again, the public money for stadiums like the Cubs stadium, Wrigley Field that the Ricketts own. We just Uh, we view like at a profound level, we view the people who are the takers mm-hmm. are the providers, and the providers, the workers, are suddenly the takers, basically. Yep. Of public resources, right? Wealth. 
And it is just something where it's like, this is what our media reinforces. If you look at Fox News, it's always talking about these welfare cheats that fucking Ricketts gets himself worked up about. But it's never talking about like the people getting public money who are at the top of the pyramid. Right. And so Ricketts feels perfectly comfortable emailing and saying, oh, the unions are taking over when they're not. Or he feels perfectly comfortable emailing uh, and saying, like, it's so disgraceful imagining, you know, uh, Mayor Emanuel making Tom grovel for this public money we're entitled to because we own the building. And there's no contradiction in his head because he's so completely convinced himself that what he's doing is different. And um, and that's intentional, and that's part of the thing. And I guess one other thing to close it out, he writes an official blog post in 2017, Joe Ricketts does, um, and he talks about the opiate crisis, and he says this, almost half of the 7 million prime working-age men who have dropped out of the workforce report that they take pain medication. Among those who collect disability benefits, rates are much higher. You might be asking yourself, how is it possible that people who are unemployed can pay for painkillers? The answer is that you, me, and our neighbors are bankrolling them with our tax dollars. And the idea is that these uh, unemployed people have nothing to do, so they get on painkillers, uh, as opposed to sharing racist conspiracy emails about the president and convincing themselves that there's a Muslim stamp coming and that they should harass some clerk making $15 an hour about how you don't want Sharia law implemented on your envelopes. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. Uh, Sean P. McCarthy, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. All right, let's do an intro right now. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm in a timeout because apparently riding the dog like it's a small horse is frowned upon in this establishment. Luckily, though, I, you know, I conceal this bad boy underneath my blanket just so I can get on E-Trade, check my investment portfolio, research stocks. Wait, what, why is he? Oh, I see. Solitary. Just a man and his thoughts and a smartphone with an E-Trade app. Nobody knows. The emails included racist jokes, Islamophobic rants, conspiracy theories, and even referred to Muslims as a natural enemy. The Chicago leader of the Council on American Islamic Relations says it's actually good that those private sentiments are now so public. I'm selling-